Heavenly Father, we come now to your word and we ask that you will speak. That we will hear the voice of God and not the voice of man. That we might hear the truth of God and not the mere teachings of man. We pray that these will be heard and find good soil to take root and grow that we might find life that is found in Jesus. And so we pray now that you will speak to us and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite games, or card games at least, is this game called Flux. I've introduced this to some of you. Uh, others of you may know it. Uh, but there's, and there's different versions. This is the pirate version. Uh, so you can have lots of fun making pirate noises. Um, but the game starts with one rule. You draw one card and you play one card. Nice and easy, isn't it? Who likes rules? Who likes pre-rules? We wouldn't like flux. The game starts off simply, but the rules can change at any time. Maybe you have to draw four cards instead of one, or you have to play all your cards instead of one. And the goal of the game can change at any time. So if you like clear, laid out rules, especially when it comes to games, this is not the game for you. But see, people like rules, they like boundaries, they like definitions. They like to know what's going on. And even people who don't like rules, who say, oh, we, we don't like rules, they still have a rule. There is no rules. That's a rule. They like defi we, we like definitions. We like things that we can define. And when we can't define something, a lot of people get uneasy. We live in a world, and I've said this before, we live in a world where the rules seem to constantly change. Rules about what it means to be a person. Rules about what's important in life. Rules about where we spend our time, our money, ourselves. But it's not just the rules of the world. There are rules here. And there are rules that we make up for ourselves. But the question is, who makes these rules? Who makes these rules? But before we get into that, let's kind of just set the scene for what we've just read. Mark is interested in one thing. He is interested in making known the gospel. The gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He's God's chosen king who will bring about God's eternal kingdom. And so far we've seen him teach his disciples about the gospel and the kingdom and what it's all about. Last time, if you were with us, we saw Jesus exercise authority and power over creation, spiritual powers, death, life, and even social life. Prior to what we've just read, Jesus has sent his disciples out. He's given them authority over demons and spirits and they've gone out to preach the message of repentance. They come back to report to Jesus and before they get a chance to rest, a crowd gathers around them and we have the feeding of the 5,000. 
may be familiar with that. Jesus feeds 5,000 people while his disciples are tired. And at the end of this, what started with five loaves and two fish ends up with 12 baskets full of food. But there was more to this that the disciples didn't understand. And we read after uh, all this that the disciples did not understand and their hearts were hardened. And so that's where we find ourselves, that we have these disciples who have seen Jesus do all this, that he's taught them, he's walked with them. But after all of that, and I forget to mention that he walks on water before them. Right, you read all of this here. But at the end of all of that, we're told they were completely amazed, but they had not understood about the loaves, the feeding of the 5,000, and their hearts were hardened. That's where we find ourselves. And what we pick up on is that they land on the shore, this crowd gathers around Jesus, and they gather around the marketplace because they want the sick to be healed. I kind of picture Westfield at the moment in my head where people are just just full of people in a pandemic. Limbs flying around everywhere. I don't know how you feel about crowds at the moment, but that's the picture that we see here. We have just these crowds of people around Jesus and they're sick and they're wanting to be healed. We pick up in chapter 7, the Pharisees and teachers of the law come from Jerusalem. They must have an agenda because they're traveling to find Jesus here. They, they, they pick up on the disciples and they're like, hey, hey. Yeah, he's not wash. And so they make a big deal about it. Hey, Jesus, what's with your disciples? Their hands are dirty, but they're eating food. And let, let's be honest, I kind of get where the Pharisees are coming from here. I have this conversation daily. Did you wash your hands? Did you flush the toilet? Wait, why are you eating? Go and wash your hands. Crazy child. Don't get me started about public hygiene. But I get the Pharisees. It's like your hands are dirty. Why are you eating food? But there's more going on here. It's not just that they have dirty hands. We're told that there is a tradition that the Jews follow. And what we're not told is why this is a problem. I mentioned that this is all happening in a marketplace where not just Jews are there, but Gentiles. And so the problem is not the dirty hands, it's that the disciples have engaged with people, have come into contact with people that the Jews think are unclean. That's the problem. It's not what they're doing, it's what they're seeing. Who they're interacting with. Kind of like the way people, some people, have uh, thought about people of Asian appearance during this pandemic. I'm going to get sick because I saw an Asian person. Some. But that's what's going on here. The Jews are getting all hung up because the disciples and Jesus have crossed paths with Gentiles and now they're eating without following these so-called traditions. But Jesus calls them out. He says, you are hypocrites. 
And he quotes from Isaiah there. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And he he continues, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he goes on to highlight a specific example of what they've done. I don't know if you, verse 9 there, he says, Moses said to honor your father and your mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But these Pharisees, these Jews have introduced a loophole where instead of caring for their mother or their father, their parents, they've created this loophole where they can go, well, I was going to give this to you, but I'm going to give it to God instead. Because I've given it to God, I can't give it to you. Sorry, mum and dad. Can't look after you now. But I gave it to God. It's okay. And you might be like, wow. That's, that's creative. But it's not, is it? Because we're, we're all really good at that, if we're honest. We're, we're good at creating loopholes for ourselves. It's what the human heart is. It's incredible what we come up with, really. And you just go listen to a child. Some of the stuff they come out with to get what they want. When I was a kid, I used to pull this one out of my parents. The devil made me do it. It's not my fault. We, we, we come up with all sorts of things to get ourselves out of trouble or to get what we want. We're, it doesn't take much. We're good at doing it. And remember the words of Jeremiah who says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond all cure. Jesus calls out the hypocrisy of these Pharisees and these Jews who create loopholes and create ways to get out of doing what God commands. And there Jesus turns to the crowd and he says to them, listen to me everyone and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Do you understand that? The the disciples don't. The disciples pull him aside afterwards and it's like, what do you mean? And in my Bible, at least, I love the response here. Jesus says, are you dull? Thick? And he explains it. What you eat isn't going to defile you. What you eat goes into your stomach, not into your heart, not into your mind, not into your spirit. It goes into your stomach. And as one of the kids at Life Group on Wednesday says, it goes into the toilet. You eat food, it comes out. Even if you eat bad food, it still comes out. It doesn't stay in your heart, it doesn't stay in your mind doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't cause you to sin. It doesn't do any of that. It's just food. But food is important, especially in this day and age uh, of the disciples of the uh, ancient world. And so Mark comments that Jesus declared all foods clean by doing this. And it beca- it's a big issue. Uh, the first church council in Acts 15, uh, this was one of the issues that they did. 
that they dealt with. Um, and it applies today to a degree. Uh, in certain cultures, food is important. It's about not just food, but relationships, social interaction, who you eat with, what you eat, how you eat. But again, Jesus wants to make it clear. None of that really matters. But again, it's more than just food. Just as the Pharisees and these Jewish teachers, people make all sorts of rules, all sorts of traditions, all sorts of excuses, let's be honest, when it comes to people. See, the Jewish traditions existed to distance themselves from people who weren't And what we see here in this story is that Jesus puts a big question mark around any of those things. Things that might limit our interaction with people. Things that might put obstacles in the way of connecting with people. Jesus puts a big question mark on those. Something's been bugging me for for a couple of weeks. I um, had an interaction with an anonymous person. Uh, they'd contacted the church asking for food. Uh, and it just didn't work out. Uh, we weren't positioned to do anything uh, as a church. It's something we're continuing to evaluate. Uh, but trying to refer them to other places and trying to do what I could. And it got to the point where the person turned around. Mind you, this is all anonymous. I still have no idea who this person is. But they turned around and said, you call yourself a Christian. I'm in this situation. You're meant to help me. See, our world has expectations, has rules, has traditions about what it means for a person to be a Christian. And I've had this a little bit uh, of late, really. Uh, where people expect certain things from Christians. Um, there's been stuff I've been dealing with in the community. It's like, you should be dealing with it like this. Like, hold on a second, I'm not a carpet rug to be walked over. But it got me thinking, it's still bugging me, by the way. Because is this a loophole that I've created, that Christians have created, so that we can't effectively help people? And I'm not saying that that's wrong. There needs to be wisdom as we think about how we help people. It's not a simple, as simple as just giving a person money. Go talk to a social worker. You, you can't just give people money. That's one of the challenges of aid. And there's so much there is complexity, but at the same time, it's like, are we just making loopholes for us to make it easy not to help? You see my my wrestle here. Jesus here says, lose the loopholes. Stop making excuses. Stop putting barriers and obstacles in the way. So I'm still thinking about this. Am I putting things in place? Am I putting in loopholes or excuses or reasons so that I don't have to help people? 
Am I palming it off to someone else? Now, it's not a it's not always a straightforward answer. There are times when you just help someone. I'm really clear about that. There are times when there is a person in front of you, you help them. There are other times where we need Maybe there's more going on that we just don't see in that moment. This person was anonymous. I could I, there was little I could go on. I did what I could. Again, am I creating a loophole? I don't know. I'm still playing it in my head. But here's the thing. It's not this is just one example. But what other things do we do to put an obstacle, to put a rule in place, to put a wall in place, to make excuses so we don't live out the commands of God as we know them. Now, I'm not expecting you to know all of them, but the things that you do, are you finding excuses, are you finding ways not to live that out? It's really easy. maybe you're not making the rules and excuses. Maybe you've inherited them. Maybe it's a culture that you've grown up with. Maybe it's the people around you. Maybe it's your family. What are the traditions of the elders that you've grown up with? And maybe you've never questioned. And maybe on the surface there's nothing wrong with it. Maybe they need to be assessed. Let me let me say this. Traditions aren't bad. It's only when they miss the point. We have commands and traditions from God. We've got these things recorded in the Word of God. Not everything is bad. Not you can't, you can't just throw out rules and traditions in one hit. They exist for a reason, and some of them are good. But then there are things that we kind of just inherit and things that we grow up with, and they look good, like washing hands is a good thing to do. But if it starts to contradict or go against the commands of God, we need to ask questions. Some people say religion is a bunch of rules. And to a degree that's true. But more often than not, they say that because they don't like the rules. They don't like the traditions. They don't like the expectations. People want rules that work for them. How many versions of Monopoly do you know, or you know, or any other game? How many rules do people just make up and add? And sometimes it's interesting, don't get me wrong. And yes, it makes it easier for the kids. But most of the time, when people start creating rules, it's, they're either, either trying to finish the game quickly or they're trying to find an easy way to win. So they make it as complex as possible so that only they know the rules truly. And they explain to you as you play, oh, that's not how it works. This is the rule. And then they keep clarifying the rule so that they win. I have to deal with that daily. <laughs> but we... we <laughs> See, this is the thing. People like rules, and the rules keep changing, and our world keeps changing. And we need to... I reckon it's getting harder, but we need to be, we need to be sharp. We need to be wise. We need to be switched on. 
And not just to do this alone, but to do this together, to be working together to think, okay, here we have the commands of God. Here's what he's called us to. How do we live that out in our current world? And, and the rules of the world are constantly changing and shifting and all sorts of things. And, and one of the big things, big catchphrases at the moment is cancel culture, call it whatever you want. But that's just human nature. People just want rules that work for them. We're just seeing it on a global scale. But history is full of them. We call them dictators or oppressors. They call themselves emperors and kings. But it's happening today and social media and technology has helped people declare their rules and set the lines and say, if you don't agree with this, then you're on the other side and you're arrogant, you're bigoted, you're intolerant, you're old-fashioned, whatever else people want to call it. And again, it should cause us to wake up and go, really? Am I? Am I? And at times we have to say yes. But on the whole, we're seeing globally this almost daily changing of rules. What do you live by? Right, we see it on the global scale, the political scale. We're seeing Myanmar just completely do a 360, on 180, sorry, on democracy. We see in Hong Kong where the integrity of law is continually changing. Over 50 countries in the world, authority lies in the hands of a single or a few people, even under the guise of democracy. The, the rules are changing all the time. It's hard for us to think through those things alone. We're fortunate that there are some very, very clever people who are helping us think through these things. Now, in all of this, Christians should be marked by compassion and grace. As we see the rules of the world changing, it would be easy to become defensive and Naive even. But we should be marked by compassion and grace. But at the same time, we should be quick to remember that Jesus is not all compassion and grace. We've seen here that he calls out the Pharisees and the Jewish teachers. And as we see him deal with people, he doesn't just go, oh, hey, you're a sinner, go on, keep going, live your life. No, he calls them out of sin to leave their life of sin and step into the light. And we read throughout the Gospels where Jesus speaks to hypocrisy and to sin. It's not just all compassion and grace. So there are times when we need to go, actually, you know what, this is where God's standing. I'm standing with him. And yes, you think it was and gracious to let you do what you're doing, but sorry, it's not how it is. And Jesus will continue to do that. The gospel will continue to challenge culture and tradition and the rules of each generation. And that goes for us, not just the world we live in, it goes for us as well.
to get carried away and lose sight of that. Where am I going with all of this? It's easy for us to make excuses for living the Christian life. And whether we blame it on the world around us, whether we blame it on the traditions that we've grown up with, see, more often than not, we need to look inside our own heart. Because more often than not, it's the rules might be changing in the world, there are things that we've grown up with, but we cling on to the ones that work for us. We, we cling on to the rules, the traditions, the excuses that allow us to live life the way we want. And we can do that as a church. It's not just a personal thing, it's something we can do as a church, and we have to be careful of this. I want to just first speak on the personal because there are two kinds of people, generally generally speaking. There is the person who goes, this is God's law. This is what is right. This is how I live. Then you have people on the other side who go, it's all about grace. It's all about freedom in Christ. It's all about love. And you're either one or the other or something in between. Maybe you wrestle with both. So how do we respond? Well, if you're in this camp where it's like, I want to do what's right. I want to, this is God's law. This is his commandment. If you're in that camp, it's not setting it aside. It's not just a matter of, it, we, I need more grace. It's understanding that you need both. And Paul speaks to the Galatians and he says, I have died with Christ and the life I live is now in Christ. And there is grace there. Grace to watch what is coming out of our hearts and to instead to look to Jesus to provide guidance, to make every step to walk with him. Not to be so caught up in the rules and traditions and the commands of God. There is grace that is needed. But maybe on the other side, it's grace, 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 grace. And there we go to James, and James says, show me your faith by what you do. And so there is a need for obedience. There is a need for action. Not simply just the check of grace, writing everything off. And the two come together. And the two come together in Jesus. Jesus holds both grace and righteousness together. He holds both forgiveness and truth together. And depending on what your tendencies are will depend on what you need to hear from Jesus today. Do you need to come to terms with the grace that God has given you? That nothing you do will change your relationship with Him. That it's not about His law, it's not about getting it all right, it's not about living this way. But, you know, 
Jesus has done that for you. And that as you come to him, there is grace. But maybe on the other side, you've discovered this grace. You've discovered this precious gift of grace. And you're forgiven, you're loved, and you're treasured by God. Maybe Jesus is saying to you, yes, but now you need to live that out. Grace is not an excuse not to live out your faith. There are commands, there are instructions through Scripture. But this doesn't work if our hearts don't change. Jesus gives us an example of what comes out of the evil, of of a person's heart. Evil thoughts that come out of a person's heart. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, anger, arrogance, and folly. I I wonder when you hear that, you're slowly going, is that me? Is that me? Oh, it's not that bad. I'm not like that. That's okay. What comes out of your heart? But Jesus has come, hasn't he? And he has come to cleanse the hearts of people. And that's his promise. We read this in Ezekiel 36. That God will cleanse people's hearts. That he will cleanse them from all impurities. Giving them a new heart and a new spirit. Someone asked uh, Life Group. Well if what comes out of a. If the evil comes out of uh, our hearts. What, what good comes out of the heart? Well when a person comes to Jesus. And they've been cleansed and have received the spirit and this new heart, what comes out? If we're not to live by certain laws and traditions and expectations, what do we look for? How do we know that our heart has been cleansed and changed? How do we know that we are walking in faith? Well, Paul repeats this list of evil thoughts in Galatians 5. Basically, word for word. But then he follows with this. So I'm not going to repeat the evil thoughts. I'm going to uh, come with what follows in chapter 5, verse 22. Many of us know this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so while Jesus tells us the evil that comes from the heart, the heart that is redeemed, that has been cleansed, that has been filled with the Spirit of God, bears fruit of its own kind. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, we're told, there is no law. But how do we do that? How do we move from these evil thoughts and these things that come out of the heart to the fruit of the Spirit. How do we transition from that? Remember the parable of the soil that Jesus told. At the end of that, he says this. Consider carefully what you hear. If food goes into us and goes into our stomach, then what we hear, what we see, the places we go, the people we interact with, feeds the heart. 
Please knock it. Personal risk, no. But what you choose to feed your heart, what you choose to hear, will feed your heart, and from the heart, these things will come. So, what do you listen to? What are the things that help you set your rules for life, your traditions, your culture? What are the things that feed into that? Is it the world? Is it your family? Is it the church? Because let me tell you, not all of them are right. But here we have the Word of God. And the question of whether the voice of God is the dominant voice through your day. Is he the one who defines the rules for life? Is he the one who shapes your traditions and your culture and the way you see the world? And there's different ways to do that. It's not just reading, it's listening, it's memorizing, it's meditating, it's surrounding your people who speak the words of God to you. Why I tell you to open your Bible and not just listen to my voice. Because I will make mistakes. The church will make mistakes. People will make mistakes. But to saturate yourself in the voice of God, the Word of God, to hear His voice in the noise of the world, to discern between the things of God and the things of the world. To be surrounded by people who will encourage you to look to Christ instead of cheering you on in a helpless pursuit of the world. There's a lot more that we can say from what we've just read today. If you've got questions, please come and ask. But what, what rules do you live by? Because the rules of the world are constantly changing. The rules of your family and the church may have started off with good intentions, but they may not align with the commands of God. Let alone the things of our heart. easy excuses and create our own rules for how we see life. So who makes the rules in your We need to come back to God and to hear His commands, not human traditions or human teaching, but from God. To be saturated by Him his truth and his, his rules. And that impacts all of life. It impacts who we deal with, how we deal with them, what we do. It impacts our work, it impacts the choices we make. It impacts our family and our parenting and all that we do. But the question is, who makes those rules?
Zacchaeus has sought to redefine the rules of the Pharisees and the Jewish people so that they will see that well, you've got to figure He wants to bring people to a place of life life with him. So whether you choose to follow him or whether you choose to trust him, well, the fruit will bear itself. Jesus calls us to trust him. Trust that he knows what he's doing with the rules and the commands and the life that he calls us to live. with Jesus is not a game of fluff. The rules don't change. They've stayed the same right from the beginning. A life that honors God, a life that trusts God, a life that knows Him like Him. And out of those things, well, life sorts itself out. We can't do that alone. Because it's easy for us to be blinded by our own traditions, our own rules and excuses. We need to be encouraging each other and honestly calling each other out. And to do that in compassion and love. Because see, when we do that, when we begin to live the way that God calls us to live, and this is another sermon for another time, but we begin to see Jesus feeding the 5,000. We see Jesus bringing in the outcast woman, this Gentile woman. We see Jesus bringing in the disabled man. We see that Jesus gives us a place in the kingdom. But it's not going to happen if the rules we live by don't allow him to do that. So that's another sermon for another day. The big question is, who makes the rules in your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. And we ask that you might search our hearts that you might speak into our hearts. That as we wrestle with this question, that you might help us in your grace, but also in your truth, to discern the things of our hearts. And we pray that it would not end there, but as we discern those things, that we might look to you and ask you to help us untangle what is there. Help us to see clearly. Help us to know what needs to be brought to you. But also encourage us as we see the work of grace in us and encourage it to grow. Father, whatever needs to be heard today, I ask that it would
the result of that deep life. A life that is found in Jesus. A life that is not bound by human traditions or rules, but one that is free from tradition, from laws, all that you have set before us that you call us to be. That you call us to be.